Today is our last message in a series of messages called Looking Forward to Sunday School. And we've been talking about how Sunday School is, is more than just Sunday School. It's, it's really Bible study. And how, uh, you know, for a long time, we, we categorized things. And just because we're, we're Baptists and we like things to be organized, and so we made Sunday School... Obviously, what's happening on Sunday morning and registered people, and and that's when you um, go to Sunday school. And then we had training union, and then we have other Bible studies, and then we had the Lay Institute for Equipping, which came out years ago. I don't know if you remember um, uh, the. Uh, uh, and there was also a a series called. Um, <laughs> why did I start down a path when I wasn't ready to say that? The um, um, before the Lay Institute for Equipping. Uh, it was something about mastery, and I'll think of it as soon as I'm done here. But uh, the uh, but the idea was is that we had all these different Bible studies and training programs and so forth, and they each had a different level of of commitment. You know, like you go on Sunday morning, and, and we we always had the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night kind of thing, and and so we've kind of injected different things to do at those different times. I don't want to say we did a lot of it because we were selling curriculum and that was also, but there is a part of that. You know, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and and he finds things wrong with you and he just had a visit from a friend from a pharmaceutical company uh, just a week before and so he's offering a lot of different medication that you may or may not need. Well, it, when we make things, when we produce things, we tr- have to find ways to sell those things. And so, there's a lot of money in Bible study curriculum. And so over the years, we and, and we try not to be governed by those things, by numbers and by sales. And uh, but Lifeway is profitable. And so, uh, and this isn't anything negative against the Baptist Sunday School Board or Lifeway, or why we changed it from the Baptist Sunday School Board to Lifeway. But but it's just to remember this. That's not why we do it. It's not why we study the Bible. It's not to, to fit into a program. And so when you actually go back to the Word, and here's a, just the coolest thing about being who we are, I think, is that the origin, and I was talking about with somebody this, this week even, the origin of our denomination, if you want to think of it like that, is that we wanted to just look at what the Bible said and just obey it. We didn't want to be part of a greater religious institution or be a part of some mega whatever thing. And, and you had the reformers who were breaking apart from the Catholic Church and, and forming, and you had the Lutheran Church being formed, the Presbyterian Church being formed, and, and the Puritans were really grieving. You had the Church of England that broke off and uh, over political reasons and, and some moral reasons. And in the, all that mix, there was just a group of people who said, can we just read the Bible and do what the Bible says? Just assume that, just look at it. That's the only word of God we have. Let's just obey it. And they were called separatists because they separated from everybody else. That is That was the, the origin of where how we eventually wound up here. Still trying to do the same thing. Still trying to just simply look at what the Bible says and Obey it. So that's one of the things when we go into churches and, and say, hey, let's let's get everything arranged correctly. 
And people are like, well, we do this, 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 and this. And it's like, okay, I understand that you do those things, but why do you do those things? And do they really reflect what the Bible teaches us to do? Because here is, here's the essence of it. Of everything we want to do going forward, we want to make sure that we are studying the Bible. That we are studying the Bible. So it doesn't matter if it's called Sunday school or Wednesday night Bible study or women's Bible study or men's Bible study or Saturday morning get-together Bible study or whatever, you know, training union or discipleship training or whatever you want to call it. The names don't matter because those names aren't in the Bible. They All they did was they looked and saw what was written in the Bible and they and they tried to apply that. And so that's what we want to do. We want to just study the Bible. So the goal is, are we actually doing that? And it's the second part of our church's mission. It's the learn part. Our first part of our church's mission is to live, learn, love, lead. Live, which is living for Christ, in Christ, in community, in the body of Christ, which is a commandment. Um, To live in Christ. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. To be a part of his church. But then also... To study his word, to be disciples. In in being disciples, he said to teach everything that he has had taught his disciples. He wanted them to teach everybody else. And that commission passes on to us. We are to teach each other everything we know about the word of God. And so just continually, that's what I want us to remember. So we don't get distracted or drawn off into other things to remember that this is about are we actually studying the Bible? And so that's what that's what I look for. And 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 I and I and what, ha- what the reason why we separate community groups and Bible study groups into two different things. And our community groups are called life groups, and our Bible study groups are called everything. Uh, that's like I said, Sunday school Bible study. It doesn't, but they're got all kinds of names. One meets one meets once a month. One meets every week. Bible study. We study the Bible every week. And you see that we really should be studying every day, but we're starting with once a week as a goal. Here's what was happening in Bible studies in every church I've ever pastored. And I love donuts, so I'm not trying to take anything away from donuts. But people would bring donuts in, and there'd be coffee, and everybody come in. And they would spend in a 45-minute time slot or 55-minute time slot or even sometimes an hour time slot, there would be about 35 to 40 minutes of socialization. I mean, socializing. I want to say socialization. Socializing. Where we were catching up on things and, hey, what happened? And let's eat a donut and this person gets in. So people would get there late because they know that we're just going to be talking for a long period of time and so forth. And sometimes they would say, teachers would come to me and say, you know what? This time, we didn't really even get to the Bible today because we really needed a day where we could know each other. And I, and I get that. Except for this problem. How many opportunities do you actually get? How many opportunities do people actually get in that context to study the Bible? And we're not super faithful. I mean, many of you are faithful. I don't want to take away from you guys, but you know those other people. Those other people don't go every week. And so they're missing the week. And so so they might have only been there once that month and they came that one time and they you didn't even get into the Bible. So that means they went an entire month without studying the Bible in a group of other people. Maybe two months, maybe three months, maybe four months. And so we we get into this place where all of a sudden we have churches 
where the majority of people in the churches don't ever study the Bible or extremely rarely study the Bible. And when they do actually study the Bible, it's way off. They don't really even know what's going on. It's way over their head. And so that's why we're, we're moving. It's the beginning of March. We get ready to start this next quarter. We're moving to try and study the Bible, but study the Bible in a way that uh, we actually are, are learning about the Bible. And, and everybody gets the opportunity to study what they, where they're weak. You know, that's what I hope you'll do. I hope you don't, we're going to say, here are all the classes we have. I hope you'll take a moment and look and say, oh, this is what they're teaching here. I don't know that much about that. That's, that's what you should do. If you ever go to, I mean, when you go to school and so forth, you, don't, you try not to take classes you already know or you've mastered. You want to take classes where you're learning something you don't know. And that's what I hope you'll do so that we all get more proficient in it. And, and don't let this become a, a personal thing. Like, um, you know, I, I like my Sunday school class. There is nowhere in the Bible where God encourages us to like a Sunday school class. We're trying to obey God. We're not trying to create a world where we like everything. We're not trying to create a church or build a church where it's just the way we want it to be. We don't have time for that. There's a world desperately in need of a church that is where it needs to be, doing what it was called to do, because the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know if you've noticed. It's just, I mean, the world is going off the reservation, and it needs churches that are where they need to be. So we don't have time to try to, you know, to get the curtains right. We have to be studying the Word and studying the areas of the Word where we need to learn more and understand better so that we are more proficient in it, so that we have a better understanding of what God is saying to us. And that's why this message today is called Staying the Course. Staying the Course, just getting on that path and not leaving it. Our, I hate talking about our denomination because I'm not really a denominational person. I, I do appreciate it. I understand the value of denominations, but I know that so many people don't like them. And so if you're visiting, you're like, oh, he's one of those denominational people. Not really, but I do appreciate our heritage of where we came from. The reason why I'm a part of this group, the reason why I'm here, this church and this type of church, is because of our love for the Bible and our desire to know God's Word and our belief that it, that it is only God's Word that is authoritative. That's why our churches are autonomous. We, that's why we get together as a group of people. We read the Word, and we have the ability to read the Word, which is amazing. And we all have copies of the Word, multiple copies, many of us, so we can read it, come to an understanding of it, and then we can do it. But what happens is all these other programs come in and try to distract us and move us away from that. Now, the programs are not bad in and of themselves, but when they take away, when they do, d- distract us from the study of God's Word, when they lead us away, when they, when they lure us out of actually, when we do all the programs, it's kind of like having church service and having people who wander around during church service. Every, I was a wanderer. I don't know if that's why I wound up becoming the pastor or a preacher, but I tried to avoid being in this room during this time. 
Because I didn't want to be sitting there bored like you guys. I didn't, I didn't want to be like you. I wanted to be out there where the excitement is, where the nursery, you know, or in other Sunday school classes, or outside, see what the neighbors are doing across the street. So I would find reasons not to be, you know, and my parents were the kind that were always looking for me. Where is he? Why isn't he in here? You know, and I, so I had to, I had to be visible for the time period when I needed to be checking on me. And when they were distracted by the preacher, I'd wind, weasel my way out and, uh, and find a way to hide, you know. We had an outhouse in our church. And, uh, and so, you know, that's a great excuse, right? I've got to go to the bathroom. What teenage child has not thought of that excuse to get out of the sanctuary? You know, and I mean, what parent's going to say, no, you don't have to go to the bathroom? You know, they, they tried. Uh, but then of the, but the idea was of our church, you got to go outside. So I got to leave the building and then wander the community. And then time it out, get back right there about invitation time. But I'm, what I'm saying is, is that we, we do this sometimes even when we're here. We just detach mentally. And we're like, we're living life. And we're, we're like, we're checking off boxes. I did this. I was at church. I went to Sunday school. I went to training or discipleship training. I did this. I served here. I did this. Check, 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 check. But nothing's really we're not really doing what it was God wanted us to do, which was to study his word. And in the book of Hebrews, the author gives us kind of a, well, not kind of, it is a warning. A warning that should draw us back into being people who are focused on the word. Because if you think it was a new thing for me to try to avoid hearing the word as a kid or for the kids today who avoid hearing the word. Not new. It's been around for as long as we've been proclaiming the word. People have been avoiding that. Children and adults alike. We just don't like sometimes when we want to do what we want to do, when we are filled with ourselves, we don't want somebody telling us what to do. And so we just don't want to listen to it. We've already got our we already know what we want to do. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do when I already know what I want to do. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be any in so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how amazing you are. What a great God you are. And God, may we just focus on you this morning. May we focus on what your word says. May we focus on what you are saying to us. And Lord, also, may we resolve in our heart, Lord, our need. 
then we get this straight, that we need to hear your word. We need it. We need to hear what you are saying to us. We, we can't do this based on just the knowledge and information and wisdom we've gathered up to this point. We have to be continually reminded of your word and your truth. To, if, for nothing else to counterbalance all the other voices that are speaking to us on a regular basis. So Lord, now we, may we tune in to your word. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing. Watch out. Watch out. We, um, I like to hike. And I've been on uh, two of the biggest hikes I've been on. One was in Alaska with my daughter and one was in the Grand Canyon with my son. And each of those had an interesting element of danger to them. With the hike with my daughter, we ran into a white wolf that hunted us or walked with us, however you want to think of it, um, for about two miles. And um, and I was carrying, in Alaska, they let you carry firearms, so I had a shotgun. Um, I remember buying that shotgun specifically for that trip. Uh, the guy told me I was looking for a gun that would put down a grizzly, and uh, and he said, and so I remember being in Bass Pro Shops, and he was saying, I was looking at, I said, give me your best grizzly gun, and he picked it out. And he, and he, it was a, man, it was a gun. I can't remember, it was like an elephant gun or something. I don't know, whatever it was, but it was huge. And, uh, and he says, have you ever shot one of these before? I said, no. He said, well, then you're probably going to die if the grizzly comes after you because you, you need to buy something that you're used to. She said, what do you normally shoot? And he said, I said, well, a shotgun I've used many times. And he said, well, let me get you a, a better, a 12 gauge shotgun that's like a military assault or a police assault rifle, uh, shotgun and, uh, that holds eight rounds which is not legal to hunt with, he said, but for bear killing, it probably will qualify. And so that's what I took. Had eight rounds in there. Taught my daughter how to shoot it. And I told her, I, she said, Dad, what if I, I said, you know, if it comes down to it and the bear is mauling me, I said, the only reason why you would have the gun in your hands is the bear is on top of me. I said, and you take the shotgun and you shove it in the side of the bear's head and you pull the trigger as many times as you can. She goes, well, what if I hit you? I go, please hit me first uh, if that's what's going on. And um, so, here we are, got my shotgun, white wolf, and so now I'm carrying a shotgun, which is already making the trip, it's, I don't know if you've ever packed a shotgun for 15 miles up the side of a mountain, but it's, it gets laborious after a while, but we were prepared, we were, we were on our guard, it was like we were just casual, so forth, see that wolf, and now it's like, watch out, what else, what else is going on, paying attention, well, we were in the Grand Canyon, Kind of that same loosey-goosey hiking kind of thing, not really paying attention to what's going on. And we asked if there's any dangers, and they said, well, sometimes, every once in a while, you'll see a rattlesnake. It's really, really rare. So most people, 75% of people go, never see a rattlesnake, never see anything like that. Well, we saw a rattlesnake, and it was white. a white. So we had a white wolf on one trip and a white rat. I don't know what the message is. If you're an interpreter of dreams or things like that, you can come tell me later. But it was a white Wolf on one trip and a white rattlesnake. Both, they said, we tell people after, this, oh, you're so lucky. Is it really? I didn't feel that way at the time. But they said, you're so lucky because you never see a, a wolf or a rattlesnake. And you saw a white one. That's crazy. It's like, yeah, it was crazy that we were stepping over a rattlesnake on the trail. That was so neat. Uh, didn't have guns with us in the Grand Canyon, but we were, did, be, we just kind of stood there because we saw and we knew people were way behind us. So we waited there where the rattlesnake was just to warn other people, hey, there's a rattlesnake. <laughs> Go this way. And um, 
And so just to kind of warn people. But it did remind me. It did remind us both times. Now we're, we're very careful. And that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way life is, is that we get kind of just into life. We kind of get caught up in what we're doing, not really paying attention to the dangers that are around us. And here's what I realized, that when they say something's rare and it probably won't happen to you, do you ever, I, I hear people say this all the time, they say, you know, there's only a 10% chance, but in my world, that's 100%. If there's a 10% chance it's going to go wrong, that's 100% for me. And here's you say, why is it always the case? Why does it always seem like it's the case? And that's because there's an enemy. When you have an enemy, it's not a it's not a by chance thing. He is purposefully putting things in your path. You say, what are the odds? You know, and you think, why is this happening to me? And and why would this happen on this day? And why would it look like everything is stacked up against me? And we're thinking that these things are just random, happening by chance, and we've just got this colossal bad luck in the universe where it all lines up on a that's not the case. It is there's a very organized plan for our destruction. The thing that preserves us each and every day is God. God is watching over and you say, well, why does he, let, if he lets something bad happen to you, he, he has a purpose in that. His reasons for it, sometimes they're hard to understand. But don't think the things that are occurring to you are just random. Random. Because he can protect you, and many times does protect you. So when you do get touched or stung or have encounters that are dangerous, Usually because the enemy is coming after you. And the, and the Lord's kind of saying, it's kind of like that encounter with Job where he says, well, sure, he's following you faithfully because you don't ever let me touch him. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll let you touch him. I'll let you get close to him. And I want to, well, to reveal his faithfulness. Well, that's what's happening with you and me. That's what's happening in our lives. Is that you have these encounters and so forth. That's why we need to be paying attention. Paying attention. Look at verse 12. He says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Through the study of God's word, guard yourself and those you love against evil and unbelief. We, we need to be in his word every day. Every day. Gathering with groups of people weekly. Studying the word. Asking questions. Growing deeper in it. Trying to figure out things. What, what does this mean? Why is this even in the Bible? That's a great question. Why is this even in the Bible? If you read it and thought, well, that's just, don't ever think that's just filler. That's just filler to make the pages round out or to make it come out even at the bottom. No, there's a reason those words are there. And if you can't figure it out, figure it out. Take time, ask people, ask questions, pry, get some answers. And the reason we do that is not just for to have Bible knowledge. I think what this is one of the reasons why people don't attend Bible studies is because they think it's just us trying to get puffed up with knowledge. And if that were the only reason we studied the Bible... I would probably still do it because I like being puffed up with knowledge, but that's not a good reason to draw people in. That that means I would 
people, we're doing a re- study in Revelation on Wednesday night, and people always say, why don't we study Revelation all the time? It's like, well, because there's, you know, 65 other books in the Bible. <laughs> we have to know those two. It's all important. You can't just figure out one. The hardest one. Uh, we have to do all of them. That includes Nahum. I don't know how many of you have ever you if you've read Nahum or you're familiar with it or you knew it was in the Bible, but you need to know what it means for this reason. There's an enemy who's laying traps for you and for your family. Laying traps for you and your family. Now here's an interesting thing. On both the trip where I saw the wolf and the trip where I saw the snake, I had read about what to do if you see a wolf. I read about what to do if you see a snake. We even shared that information with other people who were on the trail. Now, in Alaska, there was nobody on the trail, so we didn't worry about it. But in the Grand Canyon, there were other people coming, and we would tell them, here's what you need to do. Now, why would I have? Why would I want to know that information? Just in case. We did. Even though they said it was rare, it probably wouldn't happen. I'm like you. I'm like, well, if it probably won't happen, it probably will happen. Because it's us. And it did happen. But we were ready. Nobody got hurt. Nobody died. Because we were ready. That's why you study the word. To be prepared. I mean, just think about it like this. Somebody in your home needs to know what to do. Somebody needs to know. Now, if you want to... I take it very... I take my role as spiritual leader of our household extremely seriously. I mean, God has, that I have to give an account to God for the protection of my home, for making sure that they know what to do. That means that when I'm not there, i got to make sure that there's somebody there who knows what to do. Because I'm not there. So I have to train people in my home. This is what you do. So with my children, I'd say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Word says. Here's how you handle this. When people come to me for counseling, my children come to me and ask for advice. When people ask me, I'm not trying to think of, here's what the best thing. I'll I'll tell them if I think, well, here's just good counsel. But most of the time, 90% of the time, it's like, doesn't matter what I think. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Now, if you're asking me which Star Wars movie is my favorite, there's no biblical verse for that. (laughs) Just trying to lighten the mood. Which takes us to the next one, having a firm grip on reality. What a nice segue there. A firm grip on reality. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody because of a dream you had? Or this is a better probably example for me. Has your spouse ever been mad at you because of something they dreamed you did? And then they were mad all day long? It's like, I still remember what you did to me in that dream. And it's like, I, I, I didn't do it. I was sleeping right there. I was, not, I, was, I was dreaming a good dream. And then they dreamed something bad, and so now they're angry about something. Well, you know, that moves, that's bigger. A lot of people are mad and angry about things that aren't real and, and upset about things and making decisions based on things that aren't real. That's what's really crazy. I mean, it's a tough time right now. People are trying to figure out, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. Travel, don't travel. Hang around people, don't hang around people. Hug somebody, don't hug somebody. And we're basing all those decisions, things we do every single, whether you're here or not here, whether you're home watching or whether you're here, 
You make that decision based on the information that you have. And some of it's good information and some of it's not good information. And I'm not trying to sort that out for you. I'm just trying to make the comparison that we do that all the time. Before coronavirus ever came along, we already did that. We made decisions based on, you know, it's like deciding you're not going to go out uh, because of the weather, you know, and because the weatherman said something. Good information or bad information based on the weatherman. I remember I was I worked at a radio station, and I was playing a joke on a coworker, and this is <laughs> sad, uh, but we were in news, and I wrote a False news story. It's got to be illegal somewhere. I hope there's no statute of limit. I hope there is a statute of limitations on this. Now that I'm confessing this to the world, but I was talking about he would. I got mad at him because he was. He was always. He was my news director, and I got mad at him because he was always saying how I need to write original copy. And I said, and I knew that he was just using my copy from the day before. He wasn't doing that, but he was saying I needed to do it. So I wrote a bogus news story just to show that he wouldn't consult the sources, and he'd just read it based on how I wrote it. And I said that there's these solar flares that are coming today, and it might mess up your TV signals or whatever. Just made up the whole thing. Had some friends do some bogus, uh, fake the, like I had this guy who was a roommate at college and said, hey, would you pretend to be a meteorologist and would you pretend to be this scientist? And they would, and we made up all these names and we made this elaborate story and he read it and played the audio and so forth and we were just laughing, ha, 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 ha. And, um, and I was telling a friend and he says, you know what? He says, I was, he says, I was having TV problems. And I'm up there working on my TV antenna, and then I heard that news story come on, and I thought, oh, it's not my TV tower, it's the solar flares. You know, that's what's causing all the problems. And so he said, and, and, it, it, and that was all a lie. And so how much of it is a lie? I don't know. Uh, that you listen to on a daily basis. But the thing is, is that we make decisions based on things that aren't true. Look in verse 13. He says, but encourage each other daily. While it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. See, the part of living in a fallen world is that we can't trust anything. I mean, we, I mean, it makes it hard to. Do you think how do we even function? Well, we'll I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But just understand, to some degree, everything needs to be checked. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Now that's that's a very key verse. And what it's saying is, is that we need to stay focused, stay on task with what it was Jesus commissioned us to do. And here's, this is, we're not talking about having a picnic when we think it may rain or may not rain. Those aren't big decisions. But he's saying what kind of job you have, where you live, what you do with your life. All that should be based on what Christ called you to do. Staying focused on it, what Jesus commissioned you to do. And we get off track. He says, got to come back to what Jesus told you to do. And then the, the trust is in that God will get me, even if I'm getting this false information, and even if somebody is trying to do something to me for my harm, that God is getting me where I need to be. You know, if you ever help somebody and you thought, well, I'm going to help them, even though they may be conning me and they may not be telling me the truth, I'm going to go and help them and I'm let God sort it out. That's, a, that's actually a very good rationale. I'm going to do what I think Jesus would want me to do, even though I might be getting misinformation. At least I'm being faithful to God 
to the best degree that I can. That's what we should do every day. And, and the key is, what does Christ want me to do? What is being faithful to God? Holding firm until the end the reality that we have to start, which is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my King. He did die on a cross. He did rise from the dead. He commissioned me to make disciples of other people. Now I need to stay focused on that. He says, as it, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Not, and it wasn't only when they wouldn't go into Egypt. God's people have rebelled over and over and over again. We've got, we're always in this cycle of being faithful to him and rebel. This church is in a cycle of faithfulness and rebellion. Faithfulness and rebellion. We just want to be in a cycle of faithfulness. That's where we want to be right now. Regardless of what's happened in the past. In fact, he says, forget what lies behind. Don't worry about what you've done in the past. That's what Paul will say in Philippians. Press toward the mark. The prize of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about yesterday. Right now, just let's be faithful now. Let's remember where we came from. Let's remember that we are participants in Christ, holding firm to, until the end, the reality that we had in the start. Do not let the voices of this world harden your heart to the voice of God. Do not let the voices of the world harden your heart to the voice of God. I don't know if you have friends like this, but I have friends who call me and say, hey, I need, to talk, I need you to talk me off a ledge. And what they're saying is, is I'm getting ready to do something stupid. Getting ready to do, I'm really angry right now, or I've just been hurt, or I'm Watch the news. Going to go do something really crazy. And all they need, what they're saying is, would you remind me of the word of God? And that's all I have to do. It's like, hey, wait a second. Hold on. Let me remind you who Jesus is. Let me remind you of who you are in Christ. Let me remind you how much he loves you. How he called you. How he set you apart the grace that he's shown to you, and what he wants you to show to other people. Remember who you are. Remember you're a follower of Jesus. You love Jesus. He loves you. Now let's let's look and see how we can do respond to this in a way that's pleasing. And they calm down. They get refocused, and all is well. When I see people doing crazy things in the news, when I'm watching the news or I'm seeing something or I hear family members doing something crazy, I'm thinking, they didn't make that phone call. They didn't make that phone call and say, hey, I'm on a ledge, would you talk me off? If they had, they wouldn't be doing the crazy thing they're doing. I don't think they called me. I certainly would have said, yeah, go for it, big guy. That's a great idea. Roll out. But so often we hear these other, and we, it happens to us all. It happens to me. I have people. I have to call people. You may, you may get that phone call. That's why this is important for you to stay in the Word. I may call you and say, hey, I'm out on the ledge here. Thinking about doing something crazy. You can decide whether you're going to fire me for that later. But right at that moment, talk me off that ledge. Remind me that I'm listening to voices that are not the voice of God. That's what gets us into trouble. We're hearing voices. We're hearing the voices of the world. We're hearing all. We're hearing the enemy's voice. We're hearing our own voice, our own flesh. We hear the voices of people we know and care or 
Sometimes it's the enemy. We get depressed. We don't think when we think our self worth is sometimes it's depression. We don't feel good about ourselves. We think, oh, I'm just a loser. I'm just my life is lousy. I've made this mistake. We're, those are voices that are not coming from His Word. That's why we have to go back and say, no, 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 no. That's not what God's words. Those are lies. Don't don't make this decision. I have never, never had somebody who was contemplating suicide because of what Jesus is saying. They're thinking about ending their life. Why? Because they're listening to the deceiving voices around them. And they need to hear, no, God loves you. God loves you. And and he is going to fix this. He has fixed it. And finally, no rest for the wicked. I I've used that phrase over and over again. That that actually, I don't know if you ever heard there's no rest for the wicked. No rest for the weary is not in the Bible at all. There's no rest for the weary. I think we just made that to soften it. But when I am in a stressful time and things continue to go on and on and on, I'll sometimes say, well, there's no rest for the wicked. Just kind of saying, I'm probably not, <laughs> I'm probably not doing what I should have been doing. And that's why we're all exhausted. Because we weren't being faithful. It's actually in Isaiah 48:22. He says, "There is no peace for the wicked." And that's the passage people are talking about. But this passage in Hebrews actually is making the case for this proverb: "There is no rest for the wicked," because that's what God is going to say in verse 16. He says, "For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses, with whom was God angry for 40 years?" Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? Now, isn't that exactly what the proverb says? There's no rest for the wicked. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Friends, when I go into any church that desires to be revitalized. They've been here two years now. Two years. I don't know if you remember in the beginning, I said this is a 15-year plan. That wasn't just me trying to get job security. It, that's just in my estimate of what it takes to take a church this size and to move it back to where it's supposed to get it back to where it's supposed to be and then can get it to grow. It takes about 15 years. And that's if everybody's being obedient. Because what happens is that God comes in and is trying to wake people up and say, obviously you didn't get here through obedience. There's been some disobedience. Whether yours or somebody else, we all get it collectively at church. It's kind of like being in a family. When one of us messes up, we all suffer for it. If one person forgets to turn the oven on, off, when you go on vacation, everybody suffers the penalty. We, um, 
many times do not get to enjoy what God wanted us to enjoy because of our unbelief. Because of our unbelief. We, we had an opportunity to trust Him and we hesitated. Said, uh, no, let's do this. This looks safer. This looks more like what we should do based on my own reasoning, based on the reasoning of other people, based on the voices of the world and the things we've got. We concluded, see, this is what God would have us to do. But nobody's saying what, nobody's saying this is what the word says. This is what the word says. We're just trying to figure it out. When you go into a church and you're listening to somebody preach and you notice there's a significant absence of the word of God, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Because that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or that woman doesn't know what she's talking about. Whoever it is is talking and not connecting what they're saying to what God's word says. They're just, they may be a great talker. I've met, I know lots of great speakers. I've gotten awards for speaking. I can speak about a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you, as the person who was speaking, I had no idea what I was talking about. But I said it really well. And people were like, that was great. That was, that was an awesome message. And I'm thinking, that was a lousy message. <laughs> I just made it up. I had no idea what I was talking about. It was me and my ego and pride. It's the word of God that we need. We obey God so that we can enter into his rest both now and forever. We want to hear what he says so we know what to do. So that we can have peace and rest now and forever. I mean, we are to be the people. The church is to be the people that no matter what's happening outside, if there's a tornado going outside or whatever. I remember preaching one time. I remember Hurricane Ike, but Hurricane Ike was coming through. And it was like a freight train outside. And it was ripping the roof off of their building. And swing sets are going everywhere. Luckily, we didn't have windows in the sanctuary like here. But we, we found all that out later. But it's like, they're like, what do we do? It's like, we just keep on preaching. <laughs> it's like, because you know what? If the roof comes off here and we all get sucked out and killed or whatever, we go straight to glory. Praise the Lord. We're all good. That should be us. If anybody should have peace in the storm, it should be God's people. When the whole world is freaking out about everything that's going to go wrong, we should have rest. Why? Because we are just being obedient. We're right where God wants us to be. And he's going to take care of us. He's going to get us where we need to be. Because we're being faithful to him and we trust him. And that's what happens when we obey him. And when we are not obeying Him, or when we do not know what He wants to do, when we are not spending time in the Word, when I have not spent time in His Word, and I don't know what it says, that's when I have no rest. That's when I have no peace. Because I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, know how to do, I don't know how to respond to this. Why? Because I'm not in the Word. So obey God. And that's the imitation. Commit to study the Word of God so that you know how to obey Him and live with Him forever. 
I mean, really. Doesn't that kind of take the edge off the coronavirus? If you know you're going to live with Jesus forever, regardless of what happens. I mean, doesn't it? Doesn't take the edge off of being invaded by some outside military force or whatever if you know that no matter what happens, we get to live with Jesus forever? What do you think you tell people in Muslim countries who are being oppressed? What do you think you tell Christians in communist China who are being imprisoned for their faith? We tell them the same thing we tell you, that we tell everybody. We put our faith in Jesus. We live with him forever. You can hurt this body. You can do what you want with it. But it will rise again. And it will live forever. How do I know that? You're like, well, how do you know that? Because they did it to Jesus. They killed him. They put him in a tomb. He came back to life. He rose up. And he lives forever. He's still alive today. And it's my faith in Jesus that believes that the same truth will apply for me today. And it's the same for you. You put your faith in Jesus you believe Jesus is alive today, then you also can have that life forever. Father, just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. Thank you, Lord, for the faith that you give us to trust you that we can be at peace now and forever. Lord God, so many things distracting us. Lord, sometimes it feels like we're going right into a harsh storm. So many things that can go wrong, and the voices around us are saying, so they're so fatalistic. Lord, you tell us, though, you tell us these, these governments are going to fall. You tell us these nations will fail. They've been failing for as long as there have been nations. But you also promise us this, that you will hold up your church. You will preserve us. You will keep us. We just stay the course. Just stay faithful to you. Be obedient to you. You'll preserve me. You'll preserve my family. You'll preserve all the families in this church. You'll preserve all the churches on this planet. We remain faithful to you. God, help us to be faithful today. Help us to trust you, to believe in you. May you be the fixed point in our life. If everything else fails, we remain faithful to you. If we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me as we have a time of invitation. And I don't know where you are today or what's going on in your life, but if you're at a moment where you just need to get your course fixed, where you have not been being obedient, where you don't know what's going to happen, where you really, whether you're the leader of your family or in your family, and maybe your husband's way off base, or whether your spouse is out here, your children are going crazy, or whatever, but you just say, God, I don't, I'm, I have no peace. I'm, there's, I can't rest. Well, then just come to Him and say, fix my course. And I'm telling you, if you will begin to obey Him. Just begin to do what he asks you to do. So I don't know what he wants you to do. Just look at his word. He will show you in his word what he wants you to do. That's the first step of obedience. Learn his word. But just make that commitment today. Just say, you know what? I haven't been, but I'm going to start. I'm going to start listening to him, and I'm going to start obeying him and trusting him.
You can come up here and do that. You can do it right where you are. But let's do that before we leave here today. Make sure all of us are committed to Christ and to obeying Him.